0: Our text tonight is from Acts, chapter 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over them and upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. What we say tonight with the idea and what repentance means It comes from a Greek word, metanoio, metanoeo. It means above, meta, noeo, I'll do it this way, noeo, to perceive or to think. So the invitation to repent and believe is not just to turn around and go the other way because that's a way that you know. The the, the invitation is to think beyond what you're thinking now. That's a cool word. And so that's the response. When Peter says that in the Greek, the people are invited all of a sudden to think beyond what they've thought about, and that takes us to the sovereign God. That's cool. And so I want to invite you uh, with me and all of us together to think beyond uh, in this text what we've thought before. May the Holy Spirit be honored tonight as we invite him into our midst. I love this text, Acts 2, 42 through 47. It is uh, the direct response to the teaching, the sermon of Peter about Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus who lived and who was born, was born, lived, died, rose again to conquer death, ascended and is coming to collect us. Brothers and sisters, that's awesome. It's something to be excited about. Uh, this is an important text because it's the essence of the church. What are you? What am I? What are we here doing? Why do we go to church? This is the, we see the essence of what happened. This is the, the very first foundational church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to unpack through four levels here in the passage What's going on with the early church? And if you guys like to write things down, now's a good time to write these four points down. All right, point number one comes from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Point number one that you see in the early church is that they had this unwavering devotion. It's key. It's important. The response of the Spirit was devotion. All right, point number two we see in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. Awe. God's presence was among them. And just like when any time God's presence comes among people or enters uh, our temporal reality, we see awesome things, signs and wonders. What we call signs and wonders in this temporal Uh, land, but what is actually the normalcy of the kingdom. The kingdom is invading. God's presence is with the church. Number three, we see in verse 44 through 47, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. This is stark unity. This is amazing unity. It's uncommon unity than the unity the world offers. You see that in the church. Unity. And the last part is the last part of 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Growth. Beginning of the spread of Christianity on earth, right here in this text. All right, now, if you're like me, you know, we've been doing this series on the Holy Spirit. How do we view the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit respond? How, how does the Holy Spirit entwine itself into our lives? Uh, how do, how, what do we do with texts on the Holy Spirit? Um, and I was glad to sit Wednesday night. Or Wednesday morning in prayer with some of you, uh, and here uh, some of you are having questions. It's kind of a bit of longing when when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we read texts like this uh, of the early church, and we see these awesome things. It's in the Book of Acts. Acts is full of signs and wonders and and, and miracles, and it was just crazy awesome stuff. Well, what about us now? We, we often come to it and say, "Well, am I?" Filled with awe? Do I, how does the Holy Spirit interact with, with my life? What do I do with ideas of the Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't know in my daily life, am my experiencing the Holy Spirit? This is a great question. It speaks of a great longing. And that longing is the same longing that Paul talked about in Romans 8, verse 22. He said, all of creation is groaning. Right? Like in the pains of childbirth. And a lot of our congregation knows those pains of childbirth because we had a lot of young mothers, a lot of little kids. Like in the pains of childbirth, all of creation is groaning. It's a longing. You're in good company. You're right with me. I'm right with you when we have questions and this longing to experience the Holy Spirit. Uh, my, my, my focus tonight, to answer some of that longing, and to join that longing is in verse 42. All right, So I want to camp out, pack your, pack your gear, and, uh, and walk on the trail with me, and let's, let's, let's build camp in verse 42 um, here. And point number one, there's four things I want to do. I'm going to do two points, and then I'm going to quickly tack on three and four. But two points are very key. Point number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. It's vital. In fact, please, let's all say that together. Point number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. All right. I would suggest that this is core to understanding the essence of the church. It is core to understanding what happens as a result of that? That's the very first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes on them, when they repent and they're baptized and they receive the Holy Spirit. The first thing they do is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I, I, I don't want to—I don't want to say that this is a, like a high and lofty devotion that you have to be devoted, like you—you you have to to sit down and read. Uh, Erickson's Systematic Theology and get every point. You don't have to rummage through John Calvin's um, Institutes of the Christian Religion or, or put stacks of books on your desks and go, I know all this, I'm getting there, I'm devoting myself to the apostles' teachings because this is a very Western understanding of devotion to the apostles' teachings. And you see the New Testament is not written just in a Western uh, mindset, it's also Eastern And so you see the marriage of the two here. You see, the Eastern mindset is more about being, and the Western mindset is more about reasoning. And so I think that when we read this in the text, we immediately go, I've got to understand everything about the Bible. In order to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, I need to read Genesis to Revelation and understand the theological points and concepts, and and I will be okay. And then I can see signs and wonders. Or then I can have unity. And then. But that might be just another idol that the West has created. You know. It's a simple message. What are the apostles' teachings? We, we heard it tonight. Thank you, Caleb. You're welcome. We heard it tonight. He just spoke. Yeah, there were. There were Old Testament stuff in there. you got to understand David. you got to understand Abraham. you got to understand how he's the promised one, right? And so you can begin to dig and ask questions and say, yeah, I'm going to explore that. But the bulk of Peter's sermon is like, the man you put to death is the Messiah, and he rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him, and he rose, and he's inviting you into a resurrected life, thus into an eternal life. It's simply the life of Christ. The apostles teach us. So we could say devotion to the life of Christ his birth, his death, how he lived, what he was like, his gentleness, his fervor, his truth, his own unwavering devotion, his willingness to take up his cross and die, his resurrection his ascension, and his coming again. Now, this is a real simple message. And so really to devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings is to devote ourselves to the simplicity of Christ himself, truth in a man. But Christianity has been given flack for being a simpleton's religion. Oh, like you just, you just sum everything up into this man. And it's this, this simple message. Nothing is further from the truth. The complexity of Christ is overwhelmingly amazing. And it leads to awe. You know, we hear from Colossians that everything was made in him. Nothing has been made that has been made apart from Christ. He holds all things together. So this means that the simple truth found in the simple person of Christ is leads us is a doorway into all of complexity. The complexity of creation, the complexity of the galaxies, the universe. And we get to tap into that. That's awesome. That means that all the disciplines, the humanities, the technologies, the the, the, the economics, the the, the literatures of the world, the stories that are told, the, the trade, the craft, the businesses, the art, that means that Christ holds all of that together. That's how he holds all of us with all of our abilities together. If we don't embrace the simple message of Christ together, then that begins to divide us apart. It builds fingers into all other kinds of stories that we begin to embrace and devote ourselves to instead of the simple one, right? And truth be told, that's what leads us to the kind of complexity that we can't handle, What we think is complexity. I've, I've been marveling over this concept lately of saying, well, you know, what we think, go into nature and just kind of sit in the woods and uh, try to give up some some things, some technologies in your life and, and build some space and devote yourself to simplicity. Be simple. And we say, oh, that you know, there, there's just, the people that do that, they kind of get rid of stuff, they're just simple. They're just, they just love simplicity, you know. But I've been thinking, like, you compare... The simplicity of the natural order, the created things, you compare them to the man-made things. Take a building. Let's let's take the Khalifa Tower. It's two thousand seven hundred and twenty-two feet tall. It's the tallest building in the world. The other day, I was hiking with my nephew, and I climbed up a twenty-one hundred foot mountain, House Mountain. It's a really cool little mountain not far from here, and it's almost as tall as that, right? That's a tiny little mountain. Go hike up into the Appalachians, and you'll traverse several mountains twice as tall as the tallest man-made thing on earth, right? It's pretty. Not to mention the complexity of a mountain. There's no contest. The complexity of the created order, there's no contest compared to what we make, right? It's beauty. It's a beautiful thing. We get to tap into that. When we devote ourselves to Jesus Christ, this fills us with confidence, with awe. Think of your iPhone camera. Now think of the human eye. (laughs) No contest. (laughs) Think of the internet. And now think of the prayers of the faithful across the globe. Not just sending waves from tower to tower, but actually interacting with God. Prayers uttered back and forth, heaven to earth. No contest. It's awesome. Devotion to the apostles' teachings. And before we move from devotion to the apostles' teachings, it's also important to really understand what the word Devotion is and means. Proskartereo is the Greek word for devotion. Proskartereo is, again, going back to that Eastern understanding, is an invitation to come into. An invitation. It's not to reason something. It's an invitation to hold fast. An invitation to persevere. Persevere. When it was uttered, the original Christians were people that had to persevere. And so when Peter said, well, when the writer Luke of Acts says, proskartereo, they, 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 they gave themselves to the apostles' teachings. They devoted their lives to the apostles. They held fast to the apostles' teachings. Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 24 when he's talking to the disciples he says those who remain firm to the end shall be saved those who remain firm shall be saved Proscartereo is a persistence it's a devotion it's holding fast not letting go so let's read that don't let go of the apostles teachings don't let go of Jesus Christ. Right? Now, that's point number one. Point number one. That leads, well, some, some practical questions about devotion to the Apostles' teachings. Are you devoted to the Apostles' teaching? Take a moment. Are you? Cannot serve two masters. Or maybe in our culture it would be wise to write kind of a a message thing. Uh, You cannot serve 28 masters. Either you will love the one and hate the 27 others, or you will love the 27 others and hate the one. The one is Jesus Christ. Are you devoted to the Apostles' teachings, to Jesus Christ? Do you read the Word? Do you have space for it? Do you get excited about it? When you're not excited about it, do you do it anyway? Are you willing to carve out the space in your life to be devoted to the apostles' teachings? Are you willing? One of the greatest things I ever did with brothers when we were living in a house together is we were all kind of devoted, and we knew it, to TV. And we're all kind of devoted to Halo, the game, the video game. And we're all kind of devoted to watching things like Band of Brothers, and it was cool, but we had, we had, like, this big TV in our house. And one of the greatest things we ever did was one night we decided, this is, this is taking up a lot of space. And so we lived in this three-story little apartment, and so we all, like, got this parade, and we're like, let's kill the TV. And so we grabbed it and put it on our shoulders. We literally did this, and we marched it up three flights of windy stairs, and we opened a window, and we... we got down, and we heaved it out, and we watched it fall and bust on the sidewalk, and then we, we went, yay, <laughs> we killed our TV, and then we all took bats, and we wind right down the stairs and went outside and just, you know, just, 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 just beat the crap out of it, it just, it just broke it apart even more, because it was just taking up too much space. Some of the great, it was the greatest thing for our house, the greatest thing. I, I'm not saying you have to kill your television, but if that's taking up space, why not? It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come away and taste of the goodness of the kingdom instead of the stories of the world, the grand story, instead of the stories that we often give our lives to here and there. When you read the Word, are you devoted to the Word, Jesus Christ, or are you devoted to understanding and reasoning out the Word? Because there's Word, and there's the Word, right? Another thing to think about as you think about this point. Now, that's the first thing. The second thing is fellowship. And what I want to argue tonight is not argue with you. What I want to to just talk to you about tonight is is that the other things that the church is, the, the unity and the breaking of bread and the praying, it just happens as a result. It's such a natural organic outflow of the first, of devotion to Jesus Christ. In other words, if you are devoted to Jesus Christ, if he is the lens through which you view all of life, if he is in every bone and muscle and, and, and tissue, if you take him to work with you, and you speak to your coworkers about him, you boast of him, you... You view all things, every conversation with your child, every conversation with a friend. Now I know we don't live up to that. But if you want to, if if you're seeking that, then the natural outpouring is unity with other believers. You will be in deep unity with other believers. And that's what it says, and fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And this fellowship is important. Right. John 17 says, make them one as we are one, Father. And here we see the essence of unity. Uh, the word in Greek for fellowship is koinonia. Right? Make them koinonia. Make them completely one. Make them like us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Doug's spoken a lot about Trinity. The Trinity is one. The Trinity is Communion. That is, that, that's, the, that's the foundation for our unity here in the church, is communion with one another. God literally is inviting us into this love dance that he's having. I love how Doug explains it like a dance of love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are dancing. And we get to be invited to that dance. And that's, that's our unity. That's our koinonia. Koinonia. And that's just a natural, organic thing that happens. Right? Now, oftentimes we come in the church and say, let's figure out fellowship and let's figure out unity. Because we have problems there, right? We have problems understanding how we get along. We have problems with, like, like do we have time and how do our schedules, how do, how do our small groups, like, really get together, like, really know one another? Like, do, do people really really know me. Like, can I let them dig into my life? It's unsafe. It's hard. And if there's not space for safety in that, then I'm not going to do it. I get it. I get it. But the Spirit if we're devoted to, the, to Jesus Christ, the Spirit will cause this, right? Because if we're devoted to Jesus Christ, then we'll begin to make time, right? Naturally. That's just what we want. That's what we come to love and crave. And the junction of people will naturally start to occur, we will naturally begin to drift toward one another and make steps and choices, real practical steps and choices to say, maybe I want to live around you. Maybe I need to cancel. Maybe I need to change the nature of my job and make less money so that I can brace more time with you. Maybe I need to sell a bunch of my stuff so that I could be around you more. Not because I think that's what I ought to do. Not because I want to heal this problem in the church of division. But because I want to. Because that's what seems natural to do. I'm driven toward that. Where did that come from? Why all of a sudden am I wanting to sell my possessions and give them to my brothers and sisters? Oh, it, because I love Jesus. And that's what Jesus did. And the life of Jesus just is beginning to extend itself through me, right? Friends, brothers, sisters, we are conduits. Of the kingdom, right? We're the keepers of peace in the world. Right? Now, subsequently, we understand really uniquely this problem of unity in the church through the name of the devil. The name of the devil is Diabolos. In Greek, diabolos, dia, through, bolos, that's where we get this from. Bowling, the devil is like a bowling ball that goes down the lane It separates pins. Bolos literally means to separate. So the very name of the devil is through, separate, right? It's the direct opposite of the created order of God. The trin- Trinity fills us up. The Spirit fills us and brings us together and holds us as one, right? And the devil hates that. He's like, eh, I got to bowl. He's just always wanting to bowl. He's like the dude in Big Lebowski. Let's go bowl, you know? Let's bowl. That's all he wants to do, right? The lazy, is um, Remember that that's the nature of the devil. That's, a, that's his point, to separate what God brings together. The thing is, if you're devoted to Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, the devil can't. He can't separate it. It's a power that holds you together. I was going to say like super glue, but that just doesn't encapsulate it, right? What kind of glue is God? He's God glue. That glue was a God thing, I'll tell you that right now. He just holds you together. But if we try to figure out on our own, we won't figure it out. We won't be held together. We will be bold through, right? Remember that. I want to say that this unity is an expression in the world, and it is an invitation to other people, and it is a glorious and beautiful thing. I was having a conversation with my father-in-law, who's back there. We were talking about gangs and contracts, and he was saying, you know, when you look at a gang, there's this, 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 this incredible uh, consistency, this incredible rule book that gangs write, and they have this die-hard unity. And we're thinking about it because I recently moved to Park Ridge with a, a number of you, and it's this beautiful, it's a, it's a beautiful life we're beginning to, to try to work out proximity and just, and just love and rhythm with one another in prayer. Um, but and I'm hanging out with these little 9- like and 10-year-old guys, and I realize the next step for them is a gang very soon. And I say, what does a gang have to offer? They have this diehard brotherhood. They have this really strong connection to one another. They will do anything for one another. So if a little kid looks at me and I say, don't join a gang, and he says, why? And I say, well, because, like, your life expectancy is shorter, and, and, and the gang is, there's all kinds of reasons not to join a gang. There's all kinds of violence and warfare. It's just, it's not a good life, man. Please listen to me. And then if, if that little kid goes, well, what do you have to offer? And I say, well, we'll come to church. And he's like, well, what, is the, what, what does the church have to offer? And he's speaking in terms of being included in something that is, that is really solid. What kind of unity does the church have to offer? And I want to say, oh, oh, my little man, so much more than what a gang has to offer. Because God, a unity that a gang is offering is built on fear and power and human intention. And pretty soon it will will corrupt you and you will commit terrible acts of violence and you will feel really bad about it. You might not survive very long. If you don't fit in, they will make sure you fit in. It's the dark side, man. The church offers the unity of the trinity. It's the unity of the foundation of the world. It's the unity that made all things. This is what the church has to offer. And he's like, well, I ain't seen it. May you see it in me. May you see it in us. May you see it in our group that meets. And when they do see it, As they are starting to see it, they just come knocking on the door, saying, I like that. And other people do too. You'll notice in this text, there's no kind of spread, the gospel evangelism. This is not what the church was devoted to. They were devoted to Jesus Christ, one another. And then the other two points, they just ate together. And food is just a natural thing that happens when you're unified. The table is just natural, and you need food, and you need encouragement as you're living a life of devotion to the teachings of the apostles, as you're living in unity with one another, and the last thing is prayers, and really, if we could just see prayers, not as simply like sitting down during times of praying and saying, dear Jesus, but if we could see prayer itself as an unleashing of the tongue, see... This is beautiful because when you get into Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ brings you into unity with your brothers and sisters and He brings you to the table that we're going, getting ready to do. It's an invitation always to receive the forgiveness of Christ. And then the tongue is just unleashed with truth. And the tongue just, just speaks the truth. The tongue then is turned into the Word of God in the world. And so when people say, oh, I believe in God, because He's invisible. No, He's not. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the words that He uttered. We are the same words that uttered He uttered in the beginning of existence, let there be light. And so we speak let there be light in, in situations and conversations. See, that's the beauty of these four things. That's the beauty of the simplicity of the Christian life, the simplicity of the church. So when you get lost and you wonder what's happening with the church and where are we, just go back first to your devotion to Jesus Christ. What's getting in the way of that? I throw it out the window. Look at your fellowship. I'm isolated. I'm alone. Look at your devotion to Jesus Christ. And cry out to God and say, give me people. I'm willing. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. But I'm willing. Bring me people. I need you. When, you. when you're not breaking bread well, look at your devotion to Jesus Christ. And say, come to my table. Bless my conversations. Keep me from distractions. And when your prayer life is stale, come back to your devotion to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, help me. Help me. Pray. Like the disciples in Luke 11, they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. We got to eat. So let's eat.